Lord God, this topic of love can be so confusing, Lord, especially when the world is telling us to love one way and, and you're telling us how to love, Lord. May we see the truth. May we look at these words and truly understand how important it is to have the right kind of love, to have a genuine love, to understand that love ultimately comes from you. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so give me 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his, own, his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected, perfected in us. I'm gonna stop there and just speak about, speak a little bit about what we just read. In verses 7 through 12, John explains to his readers that God's love, God's love demonstrates how we ought to love one another. Now he immediately begins by calling his Christian readers to love each other and then provides three reasons for them to do so. The first reason believers should love one another is because love is from God. You see, the source of true, genuine love is in God. If you love God, you will love what God loves. And in this context in which John is writing about, that's especially other believers. When you demonstrate genuine love for other believers, it suggests that you're in a relationship with God. The second reason is because everyone who loves has been born of God. Loving other believers isn't the cause, but the effect of a new birth. As a member of the heavenly family, you will reflect that family trait of love. Romans 12.10 says, Show family affection to one another with brotherly or sisterly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, the third reason to love one another is because be believers know God. Now, the specific word for knows is 
is gnoskos, or gnosko. And is a word for a knowledge by experience. This word is not just understanding what something is, but understanding it through experience. This would be as if, an example would be if I, I'm sure you know already, maybe from experience, that you shouldn't eat pizza straight from the oven because of the hot cheese. You take a bite into the hot cheese, what's going to happen? It's going to burn your mouth. So I've learned from experience that you've got to just let it sit there for a minute. That is what this word implies here. That's what, that's what knows implies here is knowledge through experience. So what John is saying is when we really experience God, it will show by our love for one another. You see, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your love for others, your love towards other believers will significantly deepen. Now, on the other hand, he says, the one who does not love does not know God. Do you hear that? He says, the one who does not love does not know God. The point here is that the absence of love for one another is evidence that a person was never converted. You see, love for fellow believers can't genuinely be expressed if there isn't a real knowledge of God. John justifies this claim by declaring, by declaring that God is love. Now, to put it another way, love describes the character and the heart of God. It's who He is and who He will continue to be now and for all eternity. Someone once said, love does not define God, but God defines love. Paul described, described how God is love in Romans 5.8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, in this entire letter of 1 John, John uses three expressions to help, to help us understand the nature of God. The first one is God is spirit. The second is God is light. And here we just saw that he says, God is love. What these three expressions reveal to us is that his love is a holy love. And his holiness is expressed in love. Therefore, it's important that you understand this. Everything God expresses, I'm sorry, everything that God does expresses all that God is. Yes, even His judgments, even our trials are measured, even His judgments are measured out in love and mercy. In Lamentations 3.32, it says, Even if He causes suffering, he will show compassion according to his abundant 
faithful love. Now, after telling us that God is love, John then ex- explains how God demonstrated His love by sending His Son to die as an atoning sacrifice. The purpose of this mission is so that sinners like you and me might live through Him. Now this is the essence of the gospel. This is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, because of God's love for you, He sent His Son to die for you so that you might not only live through Him, but for Him and with Him. Now here's what John is saying in verse 10. The epitome of love consists not in our loving God, but in in His taking His initiative to love us. See, the truth is, man's love for God wasn't what persuaded God to send His Son or influence Jesus to give give up His life. God sent His Son, and Jesus was prompted, and Jesus' death was prompted by God's love for man. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. So not only did God send His Son that we, so that we might live through Him, but He also sent Him to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, if this word sounds familiar, we covered it back in chapter 1. He, spoke, he wrote about it and, he spoke, and we, I taught on it back then when we studied, when we looked at uh, chapter 1 of 1 John. But just to give you a quick little review here, what that means is that because of God's great love for humanity, He sent His Son so that His death will remove His divine wrath you and I deserved as sinners. Do you see what I mean? All propitiation means that He took the punishment that we deserved as sinners. It says, you guys may be familiar with this, and I hope you are, because you know John 3.16. What does mean? I'm sorry, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. He became the punishment. He took on the, our sins so that God can now see us as righteous and innocent. He is a propitiation for our sins. So now, as a result of God demonstrating His love for mankind, He says in verse 11 that there is an obligation on the part of believers to love one another. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, illustrated what this love looks like when He washed the feet of His disciples. Now after He was done, He told them all, 
So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He displayed there. He exemplified. He demonstrated what love for one another means. What love for other believers is. Having that heart just to serve. Not for yourself. Not because there's, some, there's something in it for you, but just because there is a genuine love to serve your fellow brother and sister in Christ. You see, when Christ did that, when He washed the disciples' feet, He showed us that the pro- he showed us the proper way to love God in response to His love for us. And it's, it's to go out and love one another. Now in verse 12, he wants his readers to know that while no one can claim to have ever seen God, loving God demonstrates these two things. It demonstrates that the unseen God remains in us. You see, if God is the source of true love, then genuinely loving others signifies that the source of true love is in us by way of his, his invisible spirit and then demonstrates God's love is perfected in us. What does this mean, perfected? The word perfected in the Greek is teleo. It refers to something that has reached its goal and by doing so replaces an imperfect state by a better one. You see, as you remain in God's love, the imperfect love that you have now is replaced by a better love that is more mature and complete. The more you grow in the knowledge and, in knowledge and faith, His divine affection, God, this divine affection, will be displayed by the love you give to others. When you share God's love, when you just give it to others freely, you will experience more of His love and will come to understand it better than you did before. Again, it's that gnosko, knowledge by experience. Now, when you share this love, it will ultimately help you to grow in your love for other Christians, for the lost, and yes, even for your enemies. Because we are called to even love our enemies. Love those who hate you. I know this could be hard, because there are a lot of people out there just that can't stand you. But we're called to love them regardless. Now I know that again some of us you know we just want to punch our enemies rather than embrace them. But if that's your heart again I say I ask you examine it. Examine why you feel this way. 
I know I do. My, sometimes my emotion, my anger gets the best of me, and, and I do. I have to be careful about reacting out of emotion. And I have to then ask myself, why? Lord, why am I, what is it, what's in my heart that's causing me to feel this way? And whatever it is, Lord, take it away. And every single time he shows me, it's not easy, but he does. Whatever hatred is in there, ask him to, to whatever anger is in there, ask him to reveal it because it's not, it's toxic, it's not good for you. He doesn't want that for your life. We are to love one another, and yes, even our enemies. In the, there are so many, in this world there are so many false ideas of what love is. And there's perhaps no word in the English language that has been more twisted, contorted, distorted and even misunderstood than the word love and I spoke in the beginning about how I completely misunderstood it because I didn't understand really what it was now looking at love through a biblical perspective love can be categorized in two types there's a worldly love and then there's a biblical love. I want to take a quick minute to talk about the difference between worldly love and biblical, and that of biblical love. And this is important, again, if you've never truly been in love with someone, because this is going to be helpful for you. If that ever comes, if that ever, if that ever happens, but knowing again, understanding what, understanding what the difference is between the two. Worldly love is a counterfeit love. And although it seems similar to biblical love, it is inherently different. Although both have a strong sense of concern, a focus on meeting needs, and a desire for well-being and fulfillment, their primary focus is very different. In the world's view of love, the self is the recipient of these things. The world tells us that we have found love when we find someone that makes us feel special, makes our days brighter, meets our needs, and realizes how special we are. The world's idea of love is completely self-centered. With biblical love, others are the recipient as we receive and then share the selfless love that God gives us. The Bible tells us that true love revealed in Jesus Christ finds its power in God and is expressed in our care for others. This is true in every arena that love touches. This is true in your family life. This is true in your friendships. This is true in every single thing that you say you love. 
it's that it's caring it's not about you it's about caring for them loving them with the godly love with the love that god gives you and yes especially this is especially when it comes to our relationships with our brothers and sisters in christ it's important that you know the difference because the world is going to try to confuse you movies, TV, radio, music, whatever it is, it's going to confuse you, going to try to confuse you about what love truly is. But if you want to really know, know who God is. Know where the source of love come, comes from. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 tells us that every action, everything that you do must be done with love. Therefore, let all that you do be done with a biblical kind of love. Do it not for yourself, but with a biblical, selfless love. Now let's continue on with the reading here. We're in verse 13. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have Come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. Here, in these verses we just read, John is telling his readers that our confession that Jesus is the Son of God unites us with God and his spirit assures us we are and we will continue to be in fellowship with him in verse 13 John informs them informs his readers that God has given believers his spirit as proof that they live in him and he in them as a believer as a true believer of God, God has given you his spirit to assure you of the unity that exists between you and him. We're given the Holy Spirit to help us know, understand, and realize these two things. First, it is the spirit of God in us that it is it is the Spirit of God in us that is the abiding presence of Jesus. The presence of His Spirit is how, we, is how He abides in us. Romans 8 9 says, You, however, are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit, he does not belong to Him. 
Now secondly, it is the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us that makes it possible for us to know that we abide in Him. Romans 8.16 tells us this. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. John then introduces the testimony of the eyewitnesses with the words, and we have seen and we testify. He's speaking here of himself and all those who personally saw Jesus and witnessed everything that he did. It's their testimony that affirms these three central truths about who God is and how he saves us. These three central truths. The Father has sent his Son. The Son, Jesus, was sent as the world's Savior. And three, confession of Jesus as God's Son and Savior confirms that God abides in a relationship with a believer. And the believer is in a relationship with God. So after stating what their testimony declares, John, in verse 16, applies it to his readers to give them further assistance, I'm sorry, further assurance of their salvation. Here he first mentions that by accepting the testimony of these eyewitnesses, it's an affirmation of the demonstration of of the love of God. And based on that testimony, believers may know and believe the love of God the love that God has for them. Charles Spurgeon once said, to feel God's love is very precious, but to believe it, even when you don't feel it, is the noblest. John then continues to assure his readers that because God is love, the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. His point is that if you truly know God, it will be characterized by the love you display towards other believers. Now many, this is one of those verses, God is love that is often misinterpreted. People will throw it out there whenever you try to tell them about their sin. And they will say, well, God is love. They don't truly understand what this passage is saying. They don't truly understand who God is. And that's why it's so important that we understand it ourselves. If we're going to be speaking about it. Again, many people go about their lives thinking they're Christians for various reasons. They may think, hey, you know what? I go to church on Sundays. Or I may go to church um, on Christmas and Easter. I have this, this cross I wear. I'm a Christian. Or yeah, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was a good man. He was a good teacher. Well, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not an atheist, so I must be a Christian. All these people have these false ideas. False, they have this impression that they're Christians, when really, they're not. 
You see, in all reality, they've never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't take very much to see if a person has truly surrendered their lives to God and has been born again. Yes, they may display love, compassion, um, charity towards others, but they have no idea what it means to be genuinely, to genuinely love by and with the, Holy, with the Spirit of God. They don't know how to love by the Spirit of God. They don't know how to love with the Spirit of God. For them, again, it's just a, an emotion, an inward feeling, or they have an idea. But they have no idea what it means to love by the Spirit, with the Spirit. Now, the reason they don't is because they've never truly believed in God's Son and have never confessed in the name of Jesus. Within every human being, within every single person, there's a deep desire to be united with their Creator. And many of them will try to fulfill that desire with false religions, money, fame, power, and prestige. The truth is that empty void in one's life can only be filled by God's love that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the only way this could happen, the only way for this to happen is if a person's been born again. When a person places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home with him. And in an instant, if they truly, genuinely, from the sincerity of their heart, have surrendered their hearts, in that instant, a true believer is at last united with his Creator. The Holy Spirit comes and just unites that person who was once separated from God and now unites them with God at last. That void, that emptiness is filled. And, as, and just as we read, God's Spirit assures us that we remain in Him and He in us. The Spirit assures us we are saved. If anyone desires that assurance of salvation, they must confess that Jesus came in the flesh to be the Savior of the world. And they must confess that He is the Son of God. All right, let's. Uh, I, I, I want to speak more on that, but I, I see I'm running a little out of time. But I want to finish up this, these verses here. We're in verse 17. Let me finish up verse 17, beginning in verse 17. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. In this, love is perfected. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment so that the one who fears has not, been, has not reached perfection in love. We love 
because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother, he has seen, cannot love God, he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must love his brother. In these last few verses of chapter 4, John informs his readers about a confident expectation. I'm sorry, God informs his readers about a couple of things. Love is perfected when fear has been eliminated and replaced with a confident expectation of what's to come. And secondly, he tells them the truth about love. Verses 17 and 18 contain the third and fourth references to the completeness of love found in this first letter, in John's first letter. The first one is found in chapter 2, verse 5, where, complete, where the completeness of love for God is said to be expressed in obedience to his word. The second is found in chapter 4, verse 12, where God's love is said to be made complete in believers when they love one another. Here, in verses 17 and 18, love is said to have completed its work in believers when they can face the day of judgment without fear. John starts off by saying, in this, love is perfected with us. The type of love he has in mind is God's love that is with us, which gradually grows and shows itself more and more towards others. As this love fully develops, it reassures you as the believer. It reassures the believer that he or she is right with God and will enable them to have a confidence, to have confidence in the day of judgment as a result of that confidence. They don't have a, dread, a dreadful anticipation of it in fear of their eternal destination. That fear isn't there anymore. You don't have to be scared about going to hell. You don't have to be scared of how that God is going to judge you and damn you into the eternal place of hell where there's, the Bible describes that there's weeping and gnashing of the teeth where you're just tormented day and night for all eternity. This confidence arises because of the believer being a loving person in this world in the same way Jesus Christ is now. As believers, we ought to love one another in this world. In the same way as Christ loved his disciples when he was in this world. Listen, when you love in this way, it shows that you, that you live in God and should give you confidence when you come face to face with Christ in heaven. 
In the following verse, John explains why love produces this confidence. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. When believers love God, when believers love God because He first loved them, then their fear of God is driven out. You see, love for God and fear of God cannot coexist. You can't love God and fear, have this fear of God at the same time. They can't coexist. The reason there's no fear in love because fear, what does it say? It involves punishment. The punishment that John is speaking of here is the kind that is reserved for the unrighteous. The kind that is deserved for those who are unsaved. It's fear of this punishment that is driven out by love. Believers cannot love God and fear His punishment at the same time. A believer who fears being punished by God, by God's coming judgment, demonstrate that they have not reached perfection in love. When the realization of God's love for us in Christ penetrates our minds and spirits, then we are perfected in love. And as a result, the fear of God's judgment is eliminated. In the last three verses of the chapter, John tells us the truth about our love for Him, our love for God, our, and our love for other believers. We love because He first loved us. You see, our love for Him and others is a response to His love for us. Thus, the love relationship believers have with God, if it's real, will manifest, will manifest, itself, manifest itself in their love for other believers. Now, because the, of the important connection that exists between loving God and loving others, John goes on to say, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. He then explains, for the person who does not love his brother, he has seen, cannot love God, he has not seen. What John means is if one is unable to easily love their brother and sister in Christ, who they can see and touch, he or she will be unable to genuinely love God, whom they haven't seen. So at this point, so this is the point, this is, this is the point he's already made. The nature of the true experience of God is such that it cannot exist without manifesting itself in love for God's people. 
Another reason that Christians should love is that it's a command from him. He commands it. The one who loves God must love his brother. God commands it. That's why we should love one another. The one who loves God must also love his brother. John is reiterating an important theme from his account of the Last Supper, where Jesus commanded the disciples to love one another. John 15, 17, Jesus said, This is what I command you. Love one another. His purpose for reiterating this theme is to reassure believers who did not love their fellow believers. Who, I'm sorry. His purpose for reiterating this theme is to reassure believers who did love their fellow believers that they really knew God. This assurance is available to anyone who continually shows a loving obedience to God and a demonstrative love towards other believers. Church, our source of love. If we desire to truly know what love is, we must know who God is. Everything else Is, is, is false. Everything else is, is just a, a fake. It's a forgery. It's counterfeit. You must know God. What, you must know God's love if you truly want to know how to love. Now, I know for, for myself and maybe for many others, it's taken them many, many years to understand that. But once it's understood, it's like, Lord, thank you. And, and, and you just want to be able to display that love more and more towards others because you know that that's what he wants for your life. If you're sitting here, you're watching, and you just, you're still wondering Hey, what is, what is God's calling for my life? What is He calling me to do? What, what is His purpose for my life? Right now, just begin with loving others. Forgetting about yourself. Forgetting about what matters to you. Forgetting about what you, know, what you want out of a relationship. What you want out of a friendship. Think about others. Think about their well-being. Think about them. Love others. And I, I, I don't doubt that as time goes on, as you continue to do that, as you continue to love and display and demonstrate that love, it will become more apparent to you what God wants to do with your life. He may show you that he wants you to preach the word of God. 
He may show you that he wants you to be an evangelist. He may show you that he wants you to be a missionary. He may show you that he wants you just to, to be that businessman, that businesswoman, work in the private or public sector and, and, and just share love through your words and actions. But it begins, again, by loving others. The source of love is in God. And if you've never experienced or had that love, if you don't know what that is, and you want to understand it, you want to have it, then again, as I said earlier, all you've got to do is just surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and God's Spirit will come and make His home in you. And as we, be, as we close now in prayer, I'm going to lead you into a prayer to do that. I'm going to lead you into a prayer to accept Jesus into your Lord, into your heart as Lord and Savior. But you've got to do it genuinely. It's got to be out of the sincere, from the bottom of your heart with sincerity. God knows. You can't, you know, you can't use God as your ticket as a ticket just to get out of hell. No, he, he, knows, he knows exactly what's going on in your heart. And he knows if it's sincere or if it's not. Again, he wants to save you. He wants to love you. He wants to have a relationship with you. So let's pray. Lord God, um, forgive us, Lord, for those times that we forget to love, to what to truly love with a genuine and sincere heart, Lord. When we forget that our source of love comes from you, it's very easy to allow our emotions, our feelings, to take over. But that's not what you have want us to do. That's not what your plan is, Lord. That's not the kind of love that you have, that you want us to give to others. You want us to love others with your love the spirit filled love or our feelings our emotions are can be deceiving they come and they go one minute we love one minute we hate but your spirit shows us to love regardless of the situation help us to remember that lord when we're angry, when we're upset, when we just want to speak our minds Lord help us heal us help us to know and really experience your love And if that's what you want, you want to know God's love, 
then wherever you're at, just pray this in the quietness of your heart. With sincerity, pray, God, forgive me of my sins. I realized that I'm a sinner and that I've sinned against you. I repent of my sins and come to the cross because I believe that Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. Lord, thank you for his sacrifice. Lord, I lay it at your feet. I lay my sins at your feet. Make me new, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. I accept your forgiveness. And now, help me to walk with you all the days of my life. Show me, fill me, love me. Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that, you're now born again. If you're born again, you are now united with your Creator. Lord, I pray now for everyone here. I pray for Fresh Vision Church that they may continue to be a salt and light here in the community. Pray for every believer that's here. Guide them, be with them, teach them, Lord. You can show them your love so that they may show it to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.